Let's get to it. Ephesians 1. So if you're tracking, Ephesians 1, just to back up a little bit, we're talking about joy because Paul's writing this long run-on sentence. He would have gotten dinged by his English teacher for, for what he's done here, but he is just running on about how amazed he is at the grace of God in Jesus. And so we preached, I preached a message a few weeks ago on the, the joy of blessings. So it was the joy of spiritual blessing, and that was from the first part of Ephesians. Then we added a few more verses last week, and we talked about the joy of election. And, and this week, we're going to talk about the joy of redemption. And so in a moment, we're going to, I'm going to read through it again so we have the context, but we're going to focus on verses 7 through 10, and actually we're going to mostly focus on verses 7 and 8. But I want to talk about the joy of redemption. Now, if we had a, a quiz right now, and I were to say to you, do you know the joy of redemption, you would have to ask the, yourself this question. Do I know what redemption is? You can't answer, you, can't, you don't know whether you have the joy of redemption unless you know what redemption is. And and some of these words that we're using, and Paul uses, sometimes biblical words there, it's like, oh, how, what exactly does it mean? Or, or we can, if you've been a part of the church and been following Jesus for a long time, you've gotten accustomed to using these words, and you throw them around a little bit, like, yeah, the redeemed, and redemption, and sanctification, and salvation. But, but if someone were to say to you, well, what exactly does that mean? Can you help me to understand what that means? you might have a hard time explaining that. So today I want to make sure that we understand the joy of redemption. Redemption. So I want to start with a story that I read this week. I don't know how I missed this one. As I, as I found this story, I, I've come to realize that it's like this age-old story. And maybe you guys, maybe some of you know it. Um, I didn't know it. It defines redemption through story. I like that best. Here's redemption. In a city on the shore of a lake lived a little young boy. He grew up on a lake near the water, so he loved water and he loved sailing. And he and his father decided to make a model sailboat, since he was a little boy, that he could actually sail on the lake. And so they took months to make this little boat. And he, after having gotten it constructed and painted and crafted, he took it out to sail it. And he would take it out, he'd sail it, and then he'd take it back home. He loved this little boat that he and his father had made. And one particular day, the wind was really cranking. And he set his little sailboat out on the lake, and the wind took it way out. This was a big lake, so far that he couldn't see it anymore. And his heart was broken. Because he loved this little boat that he had made with his father. And he loved sailing it. So he returned home, as you can imagine, 
very upset and crying. And so he went on the shores of the lake day after day after day looking to see if that little boat had washed up on shore. And one day, he was walking through town, and he saw his beautiful boat in the store window of a toy store, his boat. So he walked in, and he told the owner of the store, the toy store owner, that's my boat I've been looking for. My dad and I made that boat, and I've been looking for it, and I want to get it back. Storner said, that's not your boat. That's my boat. And I bought it from a fisherman, and I paid a lot of money for it. And that's why it's sitting here in my window, because I want to sell it. So if you want that little boat, you need to bring back some money so you can buy it. So he went home, determined. Every job he could find, he worked, worked, worked. Saving his money, saving his money, saving his money. And eventually, he went back to that toy store and he bought that boat. At last, the story says, holding his precious boat in his arms, he said with great joy, You are twice mine now. Once because I made you, and once because I bought you. That's redemption. That's a story of redemption. And as we will see, as we look at redemption, you will see, and the Scriptures teach this over and over again, that God made you You turned away from him. You ran away from him. And he rescued you by buying you back with the blood of Jesus. And so it is true that Jesus would say over every single person that is in Christ, once I made you, once I bought you, twice I've owned you. This is the story of redemption. So what Paul has been doing is he's been talking about the joy we should have as Christians. And he talked, we talked last week about a joy that, that we know from an action that took place in the past. That God chose us before church what? The foundation of the world. Before the beginning of time. So there's a joy that we have in an action that took place in the past. Now he's going to move to speak about redemption and the redemption and the blessings that we have in an ever-present redemption. And he's also going to move quickly to the future. Let's look at it together as we look at God's Word. We're talking about the joy of redemption. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, this is last week, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, we'll look at today, 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Amen. There are four present blessings, active pleasant blessings of redemption that are spoken of right here. I'm going to give them to you. Redemption, forgiveness, grace, and wisdom and insight. Redemption, forgiveness, grace, and wisdom and insight. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an explanation of the first two. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because if I do all four, I'm going to go too long again. (laughs) And I'm determined to get us out. Now i got to do it. But I'm determined to finish this sermon a little bit earlier. So I'm going to give you this idea of redemption by showing you the first two blessings. And I'll give you maybe just one little thing to think about so that you can do your own work mining the truth of this passage and seeking to understand the blessings of and the joy of redemption. All right? You with me? Here it is. The first one, let's look at redemption. I told you the little story of the little boy. You are twice mine now because I made you and because I bought you. The Scripture tells us, in Him, Paul says this phrase over 40 times in this letter, In Christ, in Him. In Christ, in Him. If you're in Jesus, you get all the blessings in Him of being attached to Him, of being tied to Him, of being bound in Him. The Scripture tells us that we died with Christ and we rose with Christ. We are in Christ. All the blessings that are Christ's are now ours in Christ. What are they all? The Bible is full of them. This is what quiet times are about. It's about mining the truth of what we have in Christ. You want to read a good book on this? I challenge you. I was reading it again this week. John Murray, written in 1955, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. And I was talking with friends. We had a text exchange going with friends that had read this book. Has greatly fed our souls. But here's the reality. You read one page and you don't understand anything that you've read. You read it again, and you read it again, and you read it again, and you understand that he is talking about something that is so amazing. He has dwelt, spent his life 
thinking about the topic of redemption. And now he's a scholar who's writing this book. And it will feed your soul, but not if you won't give it any effort. If you won't give it any effort, you won't get much out of it. And I dare say that very few of you will pick up redemption, accomplished and applied, and actually glean from it what is there for your soul and will be worse for it. I dare you. I dare you to get a copy. It's a small book. You'll look at it and say, oh, even I could do that. Get a copy of Redemption Accomplished and Applied and chew on it. Don't just read it. You won't get anything out of it. You won't understand it. But if you say, I want to take the next year to understand redemption, oh, you'll grow as a Christian. So I dare you to read John Murray. Paul says this. Better yet, read Paul. Meditate on Ephesians. But Paul writes, in him, in Christ, in our union with Christ, we have redemption by his blood. What is redemption? Redemption means a price, a payment paid. It means the payment of a price. It means even a ransom price. That's what redemption means. It means that a price was paid. It's the language of business. It's the language of of economics. When you buy something on Amazon, you agree to pay the price. When you pay the price, you get it. But it also implies this idea of ransom. And so the, the ransom price, back then, slavery was actually tolerated. It was never in God's mind for, for people to be treated as they should be owned by someone. Not treated with the dignity that, that God has given to all men. Created in the image of God. But slavery was a very real thing in Paul's day and age. It was, an, it was something they could understand. And he was saying that redemption, what redemption is, is like being a slave who, had, who has the ransom price, the, the, the payment of their freedom paid. So a person that was enslaved goes free because someone pays the ransom. Because someone pays the price. Shockingly, redemption is the language of the slave trade. The ransom price was the cost of purchasing freedom for a slave. What was the price of our redemption? What was the price paid? What was the cost of your redemption? If you're in Christ... There was a price paid to purchase you. What, church, was that price? The price was the blood of the Son of God. It was the blood of Jesus that purchased you. What was being purchased? What was God purchasing with His Son's blood? He was purchasing us. He was purchasing our souls. All of humanity was in the slave market to sin. We were enslaved to sin. We were in bondage to sin. We were shackled to our sin. We were powerless 
because of this, to deliver ourselves, to rescue ourselves, to pay the ransom price, to free ourselves, to get ourselves untied. But Jesus purchased us with his blood, which set us free, and he did that by paying the infinite price. Jesus loves you so much that he paid the infinite price to purchase you or, to say it the way Paul says it, to redeem you. It's redemption. The idea of redemption is all over the Bible. All over. The idea that there was a purchase made. That there was a ransom price paid. Listen to some of these scriptures. Jot them down. Listen. And then when I say the reference, you write it down and you can look at it later. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But what were we purchased with? With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Do you see that? Can I give you another one? Look at this. Jesus entered the most holy place. That was 1 Peter 1, 18-19. Hebrews 9, 12. Jesus entered the most holy place once for all. By what? What did he do that once for all with? By his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. He made you. You got lost. He found you. And he purchased you. How long will the purchase last? How long will the redemption last? Eternally. Hebrews 9, 12. Mark 10, 45 said this, says this. Jesus came to the earth not to be served, but to serve and give his life. Church, does anybody know what the next word is? As a ransom. That's redemption language. A ransom. He gave his life for yours. It was a ransom price paid. That's redemption. How about this one? Listen to this one. Revelation, that was Mark 10, 45. Revelation 5, verses 9 through 12. Listen to this. Revelation says, this is the end of your Bible. This is the end of the story. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood... You purchased, you see it? It's redemption. You purchased men for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. I'm adding to it because it excites me to think about this. This is why we want to be global Christians. This is why we want to go to the nations because he's set, he's purposed, intended to redeem people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, this is John writing, and he heard the voice of many angels. So not just the people who's redeemed singing about this. The angels are singing about this. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures, 
and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. This is why Paul is stringing together this song of praise. He's amazed at the thought of his redemption. He's amazed that in we have in him we have redemption through his blood. Are you amazed at that phrase? That's intended to amaze you. That's intended to cause you to worship. That's intended to last longer than anything in this world that you achieve or that you earn will last because you're eternally redeemed. Second, I'm saying this is part of redemption. So I defined redemption, but I'm saying that part of redemption is part of being redeemed is having your sins forgiven. So he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of our sins. So what is another benefit of redemption? The first one is just redemption. What's another benefit? What should cause us joy? Knowing that we, through him, in Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins. Does that mean anything to you this morning, church? Should it mean anything to us? I, I, I can acknowledge that there's people sitting in here that know the forgiveness of sins, but it doesn't, it's not doing anything. And you're probably sitting there thinking, it should, but I can't. Pray. Pray that God would help you. Pray that God by His Spirit would take the truth of His Word and put joy in your heart. That's the only answer. Forgiveness of, tres- of our trespasses. Forgiveness of our sins. I'm going to give you two people who know their need for forgiveness but haven't received it. And then I want to give you two people that know their need for forgiveness and have received it. And, and I want you to consider what's the difference between those two groups of people. First, a man who knew his need for forgiveness but as far as we can tell, if you read some of his writings, didn't know how to get it. Seneca, great Roman philosopher, brilliant Roman philosopher, he called himself this. I'll give you a Latin lesson today. Homo non-tolerabilis. That was his nickname for himself. I am a man not to be tolerated. This is when he looked deep inside himself, no matter what you saw, he considered himself intolerable. A man not to be tolerated. And what he determined, as he meditated on philosophical things, what he determined was that humankind 
needed a hand to lift them out of their intolerable state. He's right. I don't know. It doesn't appear that he ever found that hand. That he ever received that hand to lift him out of his intolerable state. Albert Speer. He was a confidant of Adolf Hitler's. Responsible for some of the horrors in the Holocaust. He was the technological genius behind the Nazi factory and behind some of the cruelty that was done to the Jewish people. And more than just the Jewish people. To anybody that wasn't like them. There were 24 war criminals tried at Nuremberg. Only one of them admitted any guilt. Albert Speer admitted and pled guilty. And if you read his writings from jail, he is a man pitifully aware that he could never, ever, ever be forgiven for the things that he had done. He died. People would ask him, you don't think you could ever repay for this? You don't think you could ever be forgiven for this? I could never atone for this. That was his language. I could never, ever be forgiven. Who could forgive me? It appears that he died not knowing of a Savior who bled and died and would have redeemed even him. Two men who know their need for forgiveness but haven't received it, haven't enjoyed the benefit of it. Two more men who know their need for forgiveness and have received it. I have a friend who, even though his sin against his family, against his wife, and a sin that would have broken uh, their marriage, who still cries over the pain of the sin that he committed and cannot believe even many years later, the kindness that the Lord has shown him. That's true religion. When you live with an awareness of what your sins deserve and how Christ has covered that, has forgiven you by His blood, and it moves you to tears when you meditate on it, that's a picture of the Christian life. Too many of us, we get so far away from any things we consider wrong that we don't experience the joy of what it means to be forgiven because we don't think we need to be forgiven for very much. Jesus said that he who has been forgiven much loves much. What he wasn't saying there is go out and kill somebody so that you can really enjoy your salvation. He was saying 
that if you know how deep the chasm is between you and the holiness of God and how He has covered that chasm with the blood of Jesus, you will be someone who lives with a, uh, with a great awareness of all that God has provided for you when He said, in His blood, you have forgiveness for your sins. Do you know that? I said I'd mention two people. The writer of this letter knew himself to need forgiveness. He refers to himself in other letters as Paul, the chief of sinners. You say, oh, shucks, Paul, you weren't that bad. In his mind, when he thinks about his evil thoughts and his evil actions and his evil behavior before God, when he thinks about all the things that he's conscious of, that he's done in rebellion against God, let alone all the things he's unconscious of, he concludes that I must be the worst of the worst. He's not thinking about you. He's thinking about him standing before God. Too many of us are thinking more about the sins of others and the sins against us. And you listen to messages and those people come in your mind. Boy, I hope they're listening. And, and we've forgotten. We need, to, we need to have the grace of God to so humble us, the whole Spirit of God come upon us and so humble us that we would say, hey, it matters not what everybody else has done. It doesn't matter if I can come up with people that have done worse things than me. It doesn't matter if I can say, well, I never did what Albert Speer did. God's not grading on a curve. And, and so when I stand before God, when I one day stand before Him, He's not going to say, well, you, were, you weren't as bad as Albert Speer. Come on. He's not going to say that. He's only going to say, are you covered? Have you received the forgiveness that my son came to offer? Have you received that, the gift of salvation? Because that's what matters. Are you in Christ? When you stand before God in heaven, you just say, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Don't get yourself all confused. Don't start saying, well, I'm better than all them. I'm better than those people down there. Say, I'm with Jesus. And his perfect life and his work that he accomplished on the cross and the fact that he rose again and is now at the right hand of God, I'm in him. And so that's why I'm here. Well, come on in. Do you know the forgiveness of sins, church? Do we know it? I fear that I don't know it like I should. I fear that I get on with life. I fear for you that you don't know what it means when Jesus says all is forgiven. If you know of forgiveness, you sing. Like Paul did. Psalm 103. As far as the east is, I don't know my, 
I'm getting turned around here, but as far as the east is, let's do it this way to make it simple. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's an eternal distance. Isaiah 44:22 I have God have swept away your offenses like a cloud your sins like the morning mist return to me for I have redeemed you Jeremiah 31 verse 34 for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more Some of you can't stop remembering your sins. I heard someone say, God's cast our sea, our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. You can't go fishing there in that sea any longer. No fishing allowed. God's cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Is that bringing you joy this morning? He Certainly God is able to remember. God is choosing not to remember your sins. He's choosing not to remember your rebellion. Why? Because you're in Christ. Micah 7, you will hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Jesus, last supper with his disciples. This is my blood of the covenant, of my promise, which is poured out for many. For what, church? When we take communion, what are we celebrating? The blood that was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let me ask Tom and the band to return. Total forgiveness. is something to celebrate. Complete and total forgiveness. It's beyond. Total forgiveness is beyond escapism. In other words, what I'm saying is, you have deep in your soul this sense of a need for forgiveness, and what we try to do is we numb that sense through pleasure. I don't want to think about that, so let me find some pleasures. Let me find drink. Let me find sex. Let me find relationship. Let me find uh, uh, more Instagram followers. Let me, let me find pleasure, and it'll dull that sense of my need for forgiveness. True and total and complete forgiveness will not be found that way. It won't be found. I know a lot of people that could raise their hands right now and say, I tried to find it that way, and I couldn't find it. Is there anybody out there that tried to find peace and forgiveness in things other than Jesus? Only three people raised their hand. I'm ashamed of us, church. I'm ashamed of us. See, you're, yeah, that's what it ought to be. Two hands. We're too far removed. If our hands won't go up, if our hands won't go up and say, yes, I know what it's like to look for salvation and forgiveness and try to escape this sense of God with other things. 
If I, you're too far removed. I'm too far removed from this. This is my concern for myself, and it's my concern for you. You're too far removed from this sense of, yeah, both hands up, stand up. Yes, me, count me in. I tried, I tried, I tried, and it never worked. But Jesus, he has forgiven my sins by his blood. Total forgiveness is beyond therapy. It's beyond therapy. Can therapy be helpful? Yes. Will it provide you with total forgiveness? Will it provide you with this, with this uh, the awareness that your sins have been completely covered and you're at peace in your relationship with God for all of eternity? Therapy can't do that, guys. It can't. Total forgiveness is beyond Positive thinking. Is positive thinking good? Yeah, I think it's a good practice. I like to try to visualize myself doing positive things. I actually do that. What would it look like to do that right, the right way? Okay, I'm going to try to do it that way. That's good. Will it get rid of a sense of need for forgiveness? It's not going to work, guys. There's nothing. You keep going down the list. There's nothing that's going to give you total forgiveness. It is complete for all the sins you know you committed and all the sins you don't know you committed. It's complete forgiveness in our lives all because of the infinite blood of Jesus. It's available to everyone. Anyone can be forgiven, no matter what their sin is, if they trust in Jesus. Even the most immoral person in the world can be forgiven. The person that you don't want to move in next door can be forgiven for their sins if they look to Christ. Total forgiveness is possible only through Jesus. Paul said it this way, in him we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. Are you amazed by that this morning? Go home and think about according to the riches of his grace. And I'll give you one thought. Not from the riches of his grace, but according to the riches of his grace. And there's a difference. If I give to you from my wealth, I'll reach into my pocket and give you a little money. If I give to you according to my wealth, I lavish upon you. That's grace. Go think about wisdom and insight and how he has poured these things out that we might know them. That we might meditate on them. The joy of redemption. Just like that little boy twice owned, once because you were made, once because you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. Let's stand and worship in response.